0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Kondo. For those of you I do not know. And uh, again, as Matt and Caleb, uh, I trust, communicated a little bit ago. It is so good to have you, particularly if you're a guest with us. Welcome. So glad that you came to spend some of your morning here with us. Um, listen, we are in the fifth week of a series of messages that we are calling What to wear. And um, that's just not an allusion to the fact that we want everybody to wear Falcons outfits tonight and cheer for uh, the Falcons. Go Jesus, go Falcons. Um, Trust me, that's the wisest course of action if I want peace at work. um, So after today, we'll see. I'll renegotiate my fan deal and see who I cheer for uh, next Super Bowl. But um, we're in a series called What uh, to wear and in this series we are studying uh what is called the armor of God in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, chapter six. And for the last number of weeks we've been looking at different sections of the armor of God. What we are assuming, even as we study this series, is regardless of what kind of year you had in 2016, there is a piece of you that would love to see 2017 be, if nothing else, just a little bit better, a little bit richer, a little bit fuller. For some of us, 2016 was a year of spiritual breakthrough. We experienced the presence of God in new and meaningful and fresh ways. We experienced his victory and we were able to say no to areas of sin and areas of struggle much more than we might have been able to years prior to that. We found ourselves newly and freshly emboldened to carry the mission of the gospel to the lost around us. For some of us, 2016 was a breakthrough year. But for others, others of us, if we're honest, 2016 was a little rougher. It was more a spiritually barren. Um, it, it was more a year of spiritual barriers, where sightings of God were few and far between if at all. We found ourselves caving more often to errors of sin and errors of struggle. We found ourselves cowering from the opportunities God gave us to step into places of furthering His mission. But regardless of whether 2016 was breakthrough or 2016 was barriers, our hope is that this year you would long to see it be a little bit better. But if that's going to happen, it's not just going to be incidental. We might have to wear something different into 2017 than we wore into 2016, namely the armor of God, the means by which... We can experience and walk in and live in the victory that Jesus won on our behalf on Calvary a couple of thousand years ago. The armor of God is the means by which we begin to experience the spiritual breakthrough or breakthrough some more that we all long for this year. And uh, so we've been looking at different parts of the armor of God and what does it mean to put these parts um, of the armor of God on. And if you have missed any of uh, the last number of messages, I would implore, yeah, verily, beg you uh, to go and catch up. And that's really simple. You can go to missionpoint.net slash messages. If you go to our website, you will find the messages um, section or you can find us on iTunes. Um, um, podcast there. I'm sure there are other places, but I'm not technologically savvy enough uh, to know or tell you what those are. But this morning, we want to continue uh, that series as, as we look at what is referred to as the shield of faith. The shield of faith. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, please meet me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And um, we're going to be focusing in on verse uh, number 16. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to have the verses up here on the screens. Um, If you don't own a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. Just head to the connection corner after the service and say, I need a Bible. And we'll get one to you um, either today or as soon as possible. But we're going to be again in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, one of the things that we have done... As a church, it's challenged us to memorize the section of scripture uh, that describes the armor of God. And um, man, I'm working my way through it and I'm getting close. And um, it just seems right if we're going to ask you to do it that we are going to do it ourselves. So before I even turn to the scriptures, I'm going to give it a shot. And you can feel free to mock me and you can correct me later and we'll grow together as long as you can do better than I um, did. So that's so daunting with Titus Parker, professional Bible memory man over here um, in the house. But, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm ready. Kondo, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 14 stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the sp- and the word of god sword of the spirit which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. How did I do? <laughs> did I do okay, Titus? How did I, did I do all right? All right. I'm not at that Titus level yet, so I'm sure there are a couple of things that got twisted. But we are working through uh, this passage. This morning, we're going to be focusing in on verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Um, We we want to look at what is this shield of faith? Uh, What does it mean? Uh, What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? Now, um, so you understand what would have been conjured up in the minds of the Ephesian readers when they would have seen this term, the shield of faith. They would have thought immediately of a Spartan. They would have thought immediately of a Roman soldier carrying on the forearm of his weaker side this barrier that would protect him from aerial assault from Distance. Um, And they wouldn't have pictured like a little disc type of thing on his forearm. They would have pictured a door, a massive um, looking thing. In fact, the word that is used for the shield is the word derived from the word that means door, because that's what this thing actually looked like. It was about four feet high, able to cover the majority of the soldier's body if he held it just right. And then for those of you who are more visual in in nature, let me try and describe a a little bit um, of this armor. This armor. In essence, looked like a door. Um, Better yet, it it looked like a wooden sandwich. Uh, It was these two um, uh, laminated wooden pieces that were fused together. And covering those two laminated sandwiched pieces um, of wood that look like a door, there would have been a-, a sheet of linen or cloth in front of it. And then in front of that layer of cloth would have been a layer of animal hide or some kind of leather. And then at the top and the bottom, this shield would have been fastened with an iron, a strip to hold this thing together. And this was important because in warfare, in that particular context, uh, there were different units to the army, to uh, the military. Some um, of the military units were kind of the up-close-and-personal, hand-to-hand combat. They would carry a sword, which, by the way, made the breastplate so significant. But there was another unit. They were like um, an archery unit. And their job was to launch an aerial assault from a Distance, the hope of the aerial assault was to somehow get the enemy to start to back up, to start to retreat before they even entered into the fight. Because if arrows are raining down in torrent from above and you see a couple of your buddies go down, it might make you reconsider the wisdom of advancing in this war. Let alone if the enemy started to dip the arrows in fire and put in the tube of the arrow flammable liquid that would ignite on contact. Oh, that would have a way of discouraging you and making you rethink your career choice. And so they would launch from afar with the hope of causing... A retreat. Needless to say any good. Any smart. Any wise soldier. Would never consider going onto the battlefield. Without a shield. In his hand. And so when Paul is speaking about the shield of faith. This would have been the picture. That would have immediately jumped into the minds of his Ephesian. Readers. The shield of Faith. Now, before we unpack what that means for us and what that means um, for us in this passage, I think it'll be good for us to kind of start uh, by just making note of some duh observations. We love to do that around here. Just some very clear insinuations and implications from this verse alone. Things I trust you saw even as you read it. I trust you can see them even as you look up on. The screens, but I think these um, implications will help us as we unpack this idea this morning. Here's the first observation from um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. We are under fire. Uh, This is a reality we've hoped to embed into our minds through this series, a truth we cannot afford to miss. And you've heard us say over and over again, we are at war. We are caught up in a cosmic battle in which spiritual beings, led by Satan himself, are hell-bent on derailing or destroying God's people. Now, again, you may not have woken up this morning and felt like, oh my goodness, I'm in a battle. I'm on a battlefield. We may not constantly be aware of the fact, but it is true nonetheless. What you may have experienced was that sneaky tendency on Sunday mornings for things to get a little bit more intense in the Car on the way to church and we may think like oh it's just the way Sunday goes and Paul will say yeah and you are under fire there are spiritual beings constantly participating to try and derail you especially when you start to inch towards doing anything that God calls you to do we are under fire now What some of us may experience is, well, you know, no, it's just this incessant spending habit that I have. Okay, perhaps, but you also have to realize that you are under fire. There is an assault. There is an attempt to derail you by any means necessary. You may call it, it's just a, it's just a porn habit. No, we are under fire. No, it's just a little beef with a coworker. That's all it is. No, we are under fire. I just don't like reading my Bible. I'm just one of those people. But what we fail to realize is behind the scenes, there is a war going on. And there are spiritual beings doing everything they can to derail us from anything that pushes us towards God and his calling. And here, Paul reminds us of the fact that we are at war by painting a terrifying picture. Of Satan and his demonic artillery or archery unit, who are dipping their arrows in the very flames of hell and launching an aerial attack at your life. At your world. They are launching arrows at your peace, at your joy, at your courage, at your confidence. That's our reality. Our battle It's not against people primarily as much as he would like us to believe that. But against demonic beings who are lighting and loading and launching flaming arrows your way with every hope of taking you out. The first observation is that we are under fire and he tells us that with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one because they are flaming arrows heading your way constantly. We are under fire. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are under fire, which makes the second observation so fun to say. We are fireproof. I love that about this simple verse. And this truth ought to make you walk out of this room and into the rest of the year again with a little cocky, humble swag on account of the word of God. Did you see it? You are under fire, but it turns out you do not have to let a single one of the devil's fiery arrows singe a single one of your arm hairs. Did you see what Paul said? Second part of verse 16. Look at what he says. He says, there is a means with which you can extinguish. Say this word out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it again. I love that. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You are under fire. There is nothing you can do about that. But whether or not you get burned, that's a choice. That's a choice. Because there is a means by which we, we can extinguish all the devil's hell-dipped arrows. Arrows doesn't have to discourage you. He doesn't have to derail you. Cuz God has designed a way to extinguish his aerial assault. You're under fire. But God has made it so you can choose to be fireproof. Fire away. Bulletproof. I am ta-ta. Okay, that uh that <laughs> that reference got lost on John Barrett, for sure, that reference definitely got lost on my wife and Emily Hoover, Josh Soulsgiver my staff, they're just out of touch. But regardless, thank you, somebody got it. Somebody got a little C, uh, conjunction with David Getter. But anyway, we, we move on. We're here to talk about spiritual things. You are under fire, but you don't have to get hit. You don't have to give in. You don't have to retreat. Your family doesn't have to go down. You don't have to hate back. You don't have to flame out. And I don't know what your 2016 was like. But I want to declare for us a fireproof 2017. Because God has made a way for us to deal with every attempt to take us And it is courtesy of this wooden sandwich called the shield of faith. Meaning, by the way, if you're not actively using the shield, then you are fooling with fire. And this year might end up being a little more rough than it needs to be. Which leads... To uh, another obvious observation that we need to catch before we move on. According to this verse, the clear insinuation is that we have shields. We have shields. Again, it stands to reason that if Paul is going to charge the Christian soldier to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery assault, it must mean the Christian soldier already has in her possession the shield of faith. Somewhere in my war drobe, I have a shield of faith. Faith. Now, whether I use it or don't use it is a second question, but at least I know that I must have one. And we saw this with the breastplate of righteousness. I I have it. The question is, how do I appropriate it? How do I actually use it? If Paul's going to tell me to take it up, he must believe I have it somewhere. And for some of us, this may be the day when we for the first time realize that God has placed in our spiritual arsenal a shield of faith. And we don't have to go out in flames this year like we did last year. And for some of us, we were just never aware of the fact that that is available to us. But what Paul seems more concerned with in this verse is... Not that we may not realize we have spiritual shields. His concern is more that we are not using the spiritual shields that we have. And so he says, take it up. Which again leads to another obvious implication. But again, no harm in being overprepared for the war. So let's state the obvious to err on the side of caution. We have shields. But we have shields dropped. Right? I mean, if Paul has to tell us, take up the shield, it's likely because he knows we are prone to have our shields down. Our natural propensity as soldiers is to actually lay the shield of faith down. The problem is the only way you can do anything Anything to thwart the fiery arrows of the enemy is if you take the shield up. And I don't know if you're like me, but again, for me, this is so important to realize that if I'm being beaten up and taken out, that's actually on me because it's likely that the shield is not on me. That's down. And I do, I think for some of us, we don't realize that we have one. That's why it stays down. But for some of us, um, and this is me, this is my 2016, I think, you know, we have the shield down because we favor other devices in wartime. So the enemy attacks me, and my, my propensity um, when he comes after me is to choose to pick up the shield of grit. It's to pick up the shield of resolution, because I'm going to try harder this year, and I'm going to shift some things around, and I'm going to make some new rules, and I'm really going to will myself and work myself. It doesn't say pick up the shield of work, by the way. It's pick up the shield of Faith. I tend to pick up when the enemy attacks. I even pick up the shield of accountability first. Because I want to potentially talk to people and share with them what's going on. Which is a beautiful and good thing to do in its place. Or the shield of denial or blame or whatever the case might be. Paul knows we are prone to pick up lesser things to deal with with temptation, and to deal with pressure from the enemy. But only the shield of faith will work. So I don't know what you tried in 2016, but what we want to heavily recommend is picking up the shield of faith to deal with the enemy's aerial assault because our tendency is to leave shields down. Which gets us in trouble. Okay, so uh, we get some picture of the shield in the Spartans' um, world. But what does this shield of faith actually mean? And particularly, how does this apply to us today? What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? All right. A couple of of things uh, to take up the shield of faith means number one to do something. it means to do something now we are going to uh, to build Um, a truth that will help us I trust to understand what this verse means but this is going to require some astuteness and patience on your part and I'm in the right place for both of those things we are going somewhere but the first thing is it means to do something Um, when the bible talks about faith Um, The shield of faith. When the Bible talks about faith, um, it, it means this it means believing what God says before I experience the outcome. Believing what God says before I experience the outcome. It means to trust what God says even when I cannot touch the evidence. Of what God says means to take God's word as fact, even when I don't feel it. I will take your wounds, and I will take your scars, and I will take your pain, and I will take your brokenness, and I will take your tears, and I will turn them into beauty. I don't feel that God, but I choose to believe you, even though I haven't yet experienced that outcome. It's faith. I will be with you to the very end of the age. It doesn't matter who else abandons you. It doesn't matter who else bails. It doesn't matter who else rejects you. I am always with you. God, I feel loneliness in every single part of my being right now. But I believe you even though I don't feel it right now. Faith. But the definition of faith. Biblically, and the definition of faith in this verse goes further than that. It's not just believing what God says, faith is doing what God says before I see or experience the outcome. Doing what God says before I experience. The outcome. It's acting in accordance with God's word, even when it seems senseless, even when it feels crazy. Faith is proving that I believe what God says by doing what He asks, even when it's crazy and risky on all human account. Faith in this verse and in the Bible is more than just agreeing with God. It's more than just believing God. It's doing something about what I say I believe. It's doing something about what God says to me even when I don't see good reason to lean into it. This is huge. Because you can agree with God when he says, be generous. But if your checkbook does not show generosity, that is not biblical faith. Not until you do something with what he says. You can agree with God in theory when he says, be hospitable. But if what your life shows is a commitment to self-preservation and keeping the hurting and the helpless at a distance because it's too risky, who knows what might happen to us. I am calling you out and telling you right now, that is not biblical faith. Not until you do something, not until you act on what God has said, even when you feel it will be of great risk and great cost to you. Do something. Faith is not faith until you've done something with it. Look at the way James says this in um, chapter 2, verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, if you don't do something, he says, is dead. Okay, when Paul says take up the shield of faith, he is saying this means taking God's word off the ground of talk and theory and agreeing with him and do something with it. It is taking the word of God to action. Out of the realm of conversation. Because the church claims, boy, and the church talks, but will the church act on what it claims to believe? Because here's the thing, James says, even the demons believe. Even the demons have theological conversations, which means even the demons agree with God. But at the end of the day, that agreement lies on the floor useless because they do not act on what they claim to believe do something if you're not doing what god says you may have a shield but it is useless it is of no benefit on the battlefield to you it is lying on the ground and you are taking fire And one of the reasons I think the church takes so much fire is because we're content to talk and agree with God until when things get risky though. It's to act in accordance with God's truth. Especially when it makes the least sense to your sensibilities and your need for security and um, obsession and control and predictability and comfort. Taking up the shield of faith means doing something with what God says. It's the declaration that I will not just put on the belt of truth. I will do what truth requires of me. Otherwise, we have a very impotent, but very theologically astute church. But, I think the shield of faith Goes even a little bit further in this verse. Because I don't know that Paul is just saying do something. I wonder if he's not talking about something pretty specific. Taking up the shield of faith means moving. From just talking and saying I believe into action. But I think Paul is speaking about a very particular course of action. And I wonder if Paul in this verse doesn't have the mission of. Jesus in his mind. I mean, because it's addressed the breastplate of righteousness, which is much more about the morality of Jesus. But he switched something in the last verse, and I wonder if he's now not talking about the mission of Jesus. Jesus. Christ I wonder if he doesn't have in mind Jesus's marching orders to the church go and make disciples of all nations take the gospel to those who are dying apart from it take hope to the hopeless take light to the darkness help the hurting be a voice for the vulnerable I wonder if Paul isn't thinking about the gospel mission of not just sharing but showing the love of Jesus, And let me tell you why I think that. And and we'll try and wrap this all together. But I think Paul has some mission undertones. I think the action he wants us to take is the very mission-oriented action. And and here are a number of reasons I think there's some mission undertones. Number one is because of Paul's obsession. Because of Paul's obsession. Um, What Paul was most concerned about was seeing the message of jesus's free forgiveness offered to all especially in his world the gentiles the outsiders Uh, look at what it says in acts chapter 20 verse 24 paul says however he says, I consider my life worth nothing. What have I even done? My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task to do the thing, the something the Lord Jesus has given me. What thing? The task of testifying to the good news, the gospel of God's grace. Paul says the thing he's most keen to obey God in is the mission of offering free forgiveness to people who have sinned against God. And I wonder if he doesn't have that same mission obsession in mind when he urges the Ephesians to do something. Take up the shield and do something. And it's additionally compelling to me, uh, not just Paul's obsession in the book of Acts, but it's interesting that the verse before this, he starts to talk about your feet, Fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You have peace with God and you experience the peace of God, and now you ought to be poised to carry the peace for God to the restless and the anxious in the world around you. Something in the verse before this shifted, and Paul has the church poised for action. To move outward towards the anxious, towards the broken. And I wonder if he's not continuing this idea in the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith by doing something with God's command to share the gospel. If you see the 50,000 unsaved in your county and you do not tell them that Jesus freely forgives, your shield is down and you are actually taking fire. But not just Paul's obsession. Another reason I wonder if this isn't what this shield is about is because of James' um, insinuation. And we started to see some of what James was talking about um, in James chapter 2. Um, when James speaks about faith in James chapter 2, he's using it in the mission, in the outward sense he says faith without works is dead faith if you don't do something with it is useless it's like a shield on the ground during war what kind of works and he's talking about mission works look at verse 15 of james chapter 2 he says suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them hey go in peace Keep warm and well-fed. Blessings. We hope it works out for you. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? What good is what? What good is that faith? If it doesn't translate... Into not just sharing the gospel to deal with a spiritual need, but showing the gospel to deal with a physical need. If it doesn't translate into feeding the hungry and fending for the homeless and fighting against injustice and freeing the oppressed, James says, what good is your faith? If you can somehow see someone in physical, practical need, vulnerable and at risk, and we as a church say, well, God bless you, it's too risky for us, we choose self-preservation, James would say, your faith is dead, your shield is on the ground, and you are taking fire. And so I, I wonder if this shield of faith is not about obeying God's mission call, to take light, to carry love into the darkest and most desperate places. But if not for Paul's obsession, and if not for James's insinuation, then I, 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 how about the armor's implication? Um, I, I'm going to show you something that if you've never thought about, you will say, huh, in your heart. And if you're really cool, you might actually say, huh, out loud. But we'll see. Um, Have you ever thought about the armor's um, implication? And I know some of you have, but some of you may not have. Right? I mean, it talks about the, the, the sandals of peace. And it talks about the breastplate. And it talks about the the shield and it talks about this helmet and it talks about the sword, the armor of God. Have you ever noticed or found it curious that there is no armor for the back of the soldier? (laughs) Cool people. (laughs) Cool people in this church. There is no armor for the back of the soldier. Why? Because the biblical assumption is that the soldier of Jesus is always and only moving forward. Never moving in retreat. Never moving back. God didn't bother to cover your back because you should never have any occasion to be heading that way. I wonder if the implications of the shield of faith don't have to do with mission, don't have to do with moving forward. Because that was Paul's obsession. That's James' insinuation. Take love further forward. And that's the armor's implication. Is that you are moving in one direction and one direction alone. The shield of faith. And by the way, let me say a quick aside and we'll we'll wrap this thing up. When Paul says stand firm, please don't get that twisted. He is not saying stand still. He is saying stand firm in what Jesus has done for you. Stand firm in what he has promised you. Stand firm in what he has given you. Stand firm in what he has called you to. But the thing he has called you to is to move forward. It's not to stand still. It's to stand certain in what he has said and who he has said I am in him. Taking up the shield of faith is at least in part about acting on God's call to take the light of the gospel to the darkest places and to carry the love of Jesus to the most desperate of people. Okay, let me um try and piece this all together as we wrap by showing you one more passage of scripture. Forget Paul's Obsession, forget James's insinuation, forget the armor's implication. I want to show you one more passage of scripture that is Jesus's declaration. I spend a lot of time thinking about these kinds of things, but Jesus's declaration. Look at Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 15 on, um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 on. Jesus is having a conversation with his followers. And um, in this conversation, he's saying a lot of people are saying a lot of things about me. Some people say I'm this, some people say I'm that, some people say I'm the other. Who do you say I am? Look at verse 15. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. The Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the father in heaven. This was a divine revelation. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, which rock? The declaration that Jesus is the savior and he is the son of the living God. On that truth, on that declaration, I will build my church. And then Jesus says this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome the church. There it is. This is huge. Jesus is declaration he says the gates of hell will not overcome the church Hmm. now in in war times um the gates um, uh, existed to keep the enemy out (laughs) jesus says i will build my church and the gates of hell will not be strong enough to do what To keep the church out. The gates of hell will not be strong enough to hold off this forward faith moving organism called the church. This is so good. Jesus flips the script on the whole spiritual warfare conversation. Because for far too long we've thought of spiritual warfare as hell attacking us. Jesus says, declaration. Spiritual warfare is about the church attacking the gates of hell. You are on the move. You are going forward. Spiritual warfare is not about us surviving the devil's aerial assault. It's about the church raiding the prison of war in the devil's territory to claim back what belongs to God. It's not about the church surviving the flames. It's can hell somehow survive the light. We've talked so much about spiritual warfare, about the demons are coming after us. It's about us taking the mission war to them. The reason you need a shield of faith is because when the devil sees us coming... He's going to launch an aerial assault to see if he can't get us to retreat, to see if he can't get us to say, mm, let's second guess the whole idea of moving forward towards the kingdom of hell, to claim back all that belongs to God. He's attempting to intimidate the church to see if he can't get us to be so scared that it might be too costly, we might get hurt, we might lose some relationships. It He's trying to see if he can't get us to retreat and move In the opposite direction and join the majority in what seems convenient so that we'll stop attacking and we'll start playing scared and playing to survive. Taking up the shield of faith is to protect me from retreating and resigning as I continue to move forward, carrying light and carrying hope. If I'm not moving forward in love, and I'm not moving forward with light, and I'm not moving forward with the gospel, the shield of faith is useless. It's down on the ground. I'm doing nothing. But as I move forward, the enemy is going to launch a more and more severe assault. And I'm going to need to say, I'm sorry, but he who is with me is stronger than he who is in the world. And so uh, if he is for us, who can be against us? And we continue to move forward. Taking up the shield of faith means obeying God's command and call to go into fiery and dangerous places to take his hope. And if we're going to do that without flaming out, if we're going to do that without becoming a scared church, if we're going to do that without venturing towards survival, we're going to need to pick up a shield, say yes to God's mission, believe his promises are true, and that the gates of hell cannot endure the forward movement of The church, and we will refuse to retreat. It is so concerning to me that for some reason or another, we have believed that the battle cry of the church is survive. When was the battle cry of the church ever survive? The battle cry of the church has always been charge. The battle cry of the church has always been there 50,000 people in this county going to hell apart from the gospel that we carry charge. The battle cry has always been that there are kids who are unnamed and unclaimed and they're vulnerable in our world to charge to help undo the work of the enemy. And if you're not on the offense, you are not using faith. You are not picking up your shield and you are taking fire. It's interesting. We think of the shield as defense, 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 defense. No, it's an offensive weapon with which I protect from retreat as I move Forward. If you are sitting still, you are taking fire. In fact, if you're sitting still, it is evidence that you have taken enough fire that you've decided it's not worth it to move forward. But the shield is for the forward-moving church who is saying we want to carry the gospel of peace. We want to be wagers of peace in our World. It is maddening to me that the church has become convinced we are on the defense. We are called to survive. Jesus was never on the defense. And if he's with us, no hell can stand against us. So we are at war, but the war has already been won. Now it's our job to go and claim what God has won. And now it's our job to go and declare the message that frees the prisoner. And the shield of faith will ensure that we do not retreat, we do not start to cower, we do not turn our chant into survive, but we continue to proceed. Are you on the offense? Are you carrying light? Are you doing something with what you say you believe God has called you to? Because as we move forward, take up the shield. And the enemy will not be able to cause the church to retreat. So, Father, we do pray that you would do something so compelling in us. Uh, That, Lord, you would uh, convince us that you have given us everything we need. Lord, you have given us everything for life and godliness. You have given us everything we need to win 2017 because you've already won the war. You have given us everything we need to ambush the enemy's territory with your light, with your love, with your gospel. And Lord, even as the arrows come more intensely, the doubt that says we're we're not good enough, the fear that says it would cost us whatever it might be, that we would not cower, That daily we would take up the shield of faith and declare God has called us to move forward in the gospel. And we intend to do that. And may our offense be the thing that actually ends up in some ways protecting us. I do pray, Lord, for anyone in this church who has claimed things about you that they are not acting on. I pray, Lord, that anyone who is saying that you've called us to the gospel, but we're not actually doing it. Anyone, Lord, who says that you've called us to love the hurting and the broken, but we are choosing self-preservation. I pray that you would do something so profound in us that your church would rise and would charge the gates of hell for the sake of jesus christ it's in his name that we pray and all god's people said amen